If you're always on the go like myself and don't have time to sit down and read, Audible.com is a great source to be able to catch up on the latest bestsellers. Listen to it while on the road or at the gym. Audible.com is a leading provider of premium digital audio information and entertainment on the internet. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible carries Audible books in every genre imaginable business, classics, history, self development, just to name a few. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30 day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash replay and choose from over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. It's that easy. Currently, I am listening to the classic One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish. One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish, Black Fish, Blue Fish, Old Fish, New Fish. Okay, that's、This、genius. Go to audible.com slash replay. That's audible.com slash replay and get started today. When you've had that oh shit moment, <laughs> when、uh, somebody has done something bad to your systems, he's the guy who's going to be on the other end of that 911 call. And so let's rock and roll. Let's bring up Kevin Mandia. Oops, sorry. So, so I'm the number one guy in the number two business? Is that what that is about? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You tell me. Is it, is it, you've been COO and president of、right. the combined, right. combined company since you sold it last year. Right. And I just did a quick look at your 10K before you came. You、on. did? Yeah. And <laughs> let's just say the business got a lot bigger after it bought Mandia. Mandia. Oh, good. So, All right. Well, that was so I, I think that's going in the right direction. So,、um, Mandiant is still a big brand within FireEye,、mm-hmm. and you specialize in incident response. And so I thought we'd just start there、sure. with what that means and what、right. happens in that moment when somebody calls you and says,、yeah. Help. Well, there's a couple of reasons why. I don't, I don't know if we specialize in incident response, but we like owning the moment when a company's been breached because it's actually a lot of fun. When you're a technician, you can be like the Windows guy, and I, hey, I'm the Windows sysadmin guy, or you can be the Unix sysadmin guy, or you can be the router person, or the person that just monitors the IDS. When you respond to breaches, you actually have to know all that stuff. And what's nice about it is it's a constant reminder why we even have security in the first place. We don't have security because there's compliance, we have security because there's bad guys trying to break in and steal stuff. So being on the front lines is a great thing. It's very strategic that we do it. Because by owning that moment, that, as you refer to it, the oh shit moment and getting that call, it makes you very good at helping organizations A, get unvarnished truth. How good is their security really? Because there's a lot of upwards marketing. But then you also know、uh, we don't just answer the question what happened, we actually answer what to do about it. And we get to live through that transformation of pre breach to post breach and all the things you got to do to go from point A to point B. So, It is IR, incident response. It sounds very tactical, but it makes you exceptional at network defense.、Mm-hmm. So, also keeps you close to the bad guys. You know what they're doing. So you roll up, somebody calls you,、yep. you roll up. What happens for the say? The, for, you were on site at Sony for quite a while. What happens It, in a typical case? So I can't believe there's a CSI cyber, by the way. I, I have no <laughs> idea how it, it is not that exciting.、Uh, meaning, We don't have shades on and black suits. We show、oh, up with laptops at weird hours. We're exhausted because we're probably just coming off the last job. Or we're actually not quite done with the last response, but we're flying in to handle the next one. 
Uh, but the first day or so, in most instances, you cannot make it look pretty. No matter what you do, uh, it's just you're collecting more data than you can process. You're trying to figure out what happened. But the nice thing about doing this for 20 years is nowadays when we show up on day one, Sony being an exception to this rule, a lot of times you know, already know who did it and what they normally do because we've cataloged the fingerprints of a bunch of bad guys, what they normally look like, what they normally do, and we just feel comfortable. But it's not cool. It's a bunch of nerds showing up. We put our desktops, our, our laptops on the desk, and it's just really quiet. And everybody thinks it's exciting. We're like, click, 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 click. You know, and I found something. Click, click, click. That's it. it it's, it, I could do my nerd voice, but, um, and then, okay. true story, there's, and the cases that are complex, like the first two to three days, there's a little bit of fog of war. There's a victim company that wants to do something now. Damn it, get these guys off my network. And we're constantly saying, slow down, take your cool, because we've got to get our arms around the incident first. Uh, and your best chance to remediate is the first time you throw the uppercut. You got to go with the knockout punch. So we're constantly slowing down the company from a knee-jerk reaction. And then after about two to three days, all of a sudden, everything starts coming together. Oh, they got in this way and on this date. Uh, they access these nine machines with these ten accounts. We're ready now. Let's, let's remediate because we're in the strike zone. So, so with the Sony case. Yeah. The moment that the skull began, appeared no. on computer screens throughout Culver City. Right. What, what did you find in those initial days? So, so I wasn't there when the, first off, that's called a trigger event. When something appears on your machine saying it's deleting everything on your machine, that triggers a response of right. some kind anyway. Uh, but um, we weren't there for that. In general, that was the trigger mechanism that did get our organization involved to respond to the breach. Who, who called you in, by the way? Uh, one of our folks had a relationship with somebody that worked there. So there was a direct phone call saying, we think we got a problem, and uh, then we showed up. Yeah. So but we were within 12 to 24 hours we had folks there. So there has been, you know, there have been a number of months since the incident. Mm -hmm. Now we have a little bit of distance from this catastrophe. Right. What went down? Well, litigation moves slower than the news agencies do. Uh, at the end of the day, it's an unfortunate thing, and one of the reasons when I started Mandiant 10 or 11 years ago, it's a lonely planet when you get hacked, and you know it. Because when you know it, there's probably another third party that knows it. And right now, we have this pendulum of public opinion that even though you're a victim of a crime, if you're hacked and you know it, the pendulum of public opinion can swing to you are irresponsible as an organization, or it can swing sometimes to you did all the right things and you're a victim. I can't predict that pendulum anymore, uh, but I do know that with every breach comes some kind of potential litigation or actual litigation. Whether that goes to court or not is a different thing, but that tends to slow down uh, a lot of the communication about a lot of these breaches, because everything you say can and will be used against you in court. Quite in frankly. this case, right, there are five lawsuits that, are, that have been filed, as far as I know, yeah. and that, that accuse Sony of yeah. being negligent. So what can you say? You know, we've already acknowledged that there's, there's yeah. plenty of litigation out there. What, so, what, what, what happened? So, well, first off, here's what happened. There's, it, a media and entertainment company got hacked by a nation state. When I say nation state, I mean people that probably badged in for their day jobs, they had a uniform on, and they targeted a media and entertainment company. And I don't think there's too many companies that would withstand that. So to me, I liken it to my aunt being attacked by an ultimate fighting champion. It may not look <laughs> pretty. Uh, right. And I think the UFC fighter stands a chance. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, anyway, uh, 
it was an unfair fight, quite frankly. And I don't think that uh, I, I don't think I learned the boundaries of North Korea's capabilities in this, um, but certainly they got in. Now, North Korea, the attribution to North mm -hmm. Korea was, as you know, right, pretty controversial. A lot of people, in fact, at one of the RSA parties I went to last night, right. I said I was going to be talking to you, and right. he said, tell Kevin he's full of it. Great. <laughs> Give me the name and number later. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, Actually, no, he said he That's okay. If, you know, quite frankly, I'm not going to run around trying to convince the whole world of right. North Korea. Right. It's, uh, but I can tell you how attribution works. Sure. You know, so... Uh, let me, let me yeah. slow you down there. Uh, for the people who don't know, what is attribution? Attribution is who did it. You know, with that's it. Who did Perfect. it? You know. Who it? And in, in cyberspace, there were times in my career, and maybe it was urban legend, but I don't think it was, where I was in the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, and we would try to pierce anonymity behind intrusions. Wow, big words, attribution, pierce anonymity. And, <laughs> but the way you would do it is ultimately you would want to get a picture of a person on the keyboard while you were at the victim site seeing the intrusion and you could connect every dot in between. So that's a lot of work to do if you're law enforcement. If you're at company A and they've been compromised, the first lead you get go back only one hop or one IP address. And so you would have to subpoena that one company or that IP address and you get, oh, whoever hacked company here actually came from this IP address. And half the time you go to another country, you work with Interpol, you work with the legal attaches, uh, and now you get another IP address and another one and another one, and finally you get to, oh, the connection came from here. The, in this world we live in today, attribution is quite frankly best done by governments. It just is. They have the reach. My company, we're sitting at the victim site, and we see one hop back, sometimes two hops back, and if there's really poor operational security by the attacker, every once in a while they'll just come straight in and straight they'll, back. They'll screw up. They'll mess up. But let's, you know, if I'm in China and I'm stealing your IP, I don't come from China straight into your company, and then when I find your IP, take it straight back to my home in China. Too obvious. Otherwise, we'd all just block every IP address in China, and none of us would lose our IP. Or uh, we'd block IP addresses in Russia, and we'd prevent a lot of the card breaches. That doesn't work. So attribution goes to whoever has visibility one hop away from the bad guy when he does the intrusion, period. We can all masquerade using malware. Hey, if I'm, if I'm going to go on offense, mm -hmm. I can use malware used by a different group. I can try to do counter forensics. Make it look like it was someone you else. You bet. I'll masquerade as someone else. I could go above the radar masquerading as someone else. I can go below the radar masquerading as somebody else being stealthy. I could use all publicly available tools. I can say I'm only going to use custom tools. Excuse me, tools. So there's a lot of different choices. Um, but ultimately, uh, the attribution is best suited for international cooperation or, or a government. So the attribution, the biggest mm -hmm. critics of the attribution, and there were numerous ones, Right. Uh, they all said that the most logical explanation in this case was an insider. What do you think? Definitely not an insider. Definitely not nope. an insider. Why? Lots of reasons. Uh, one is the amount of infrastructure used to create the compromise. Two, if you broke in, uh, we get in uh, probably 99% of the breaches we respond to. The victim company, there's always someone there that goes, wait, it's got to be an insider. They knew the, the structure of our database and they found the social security numbers. The actual answer is the bad guy's got the credentials to your database. 
they did a show schema command and your social security numbers were in a field called social security numbers <laughs> it, 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 or SSN. It your primary account numbers, primary account numbers. If you write a letter to someone in your family, you name the document letter to grandma dot doc, version one, version two. If, so the offense can read about this stuff, do a little bit of recon, but there's always that one voice in the room, it must be an insider. Not when there's you know, a lot of IP addresses accessing your network, not when the data is going out of your network. There's, no, there's actually zero shred of evidence that there's any insider involvement. So what led to the, to, the, um, to the ultimate conclusion that North Korea was behind it? Because it seemed like a bad movie, which, by the way, we could say hey, is hey, at the center of all this. Hey, haters going to hate. <laughs> okay. all right. So what... So what led to the North I think Korean a lot of things led to it. Uh, some of the things that were in our purview as the investigating group and, and some of the things that the government knows that we don't. So I have, the evidence that we have found would support what our government has said. And I think that it was very intentional that the president himself has attributed it to North Korea. So 20 years of responding to incidents, never once did I walk out of responding to an incident and heard a president of the, our nation on TV going, and that was done by the Russians. It's never happened. And that card compromise was these guys in St. Petersburg. So someone in our government thought it was important enough to do public attribution, and somebody in our government thought it was important enough to have the president do it. So um, quite frankly, you can answer the question, is it North Korea or not, by saying, do you believe the president or not? Now, back on the point of public attribution, yeah. it was your firm prior to being owned by FireEye that, that brought out the, uh, the APT1 report that right. named China. Uh, a unit of the uh, of the People's Liberation right. Army, uh, People's People's Liberation Army. Yep. Um, I forget the number that you. Six one three nine eight. Six one three nine eight. Six one three nine eight. Okay, for those. And the address. Yeah. So, uh, for those who don't know, so Mandy put out a report in 2013 that right. identified a unit of the People's Liberation of Army as chi of China, as being responsible for numerous hacking attacks right. against. Google, I think, Intel, numerous Western companies in the US, Britain, Canada, right. elsewhere. That was kind of a, a big step for you and also for right. the kind of naming and shaming. Yes. So what has happened since then? Uh, oh, I get it. Now I know what you're asking. Yes. So did Sorry. the Chinese go away and stop hacking because we no, probably they did disclosed not. they did that? No, the answer is no. And uh, you know, it was an interesting thing. So I'm a cybersecurity guy. And I don't know much about other things. I know a little bit about football and a lot about cybersecurity. And when we released that report, it was because we had a seven-year run of responding to PLA Unit 61398, hack over 141 different companies that hired us to respond. As we're encoding our threat intelligence, or, or the fingerprints of the attackers each time, we saw that there was this one bucket of threat intel where every time we respond, it's this guy, it's this guy. They made a few operational security mistakes, and overnight we went, that's PLA Unit 61398. This bucket A, we called it APT1, because we're not fancy with names like Fluffy Snuggle Dog or Panda Bear. Advanced Persistent Threat. Advanced Persistent Threat Group 1. And we start at zero, by the way, because we're nerds. APT Group 0, and then uh, APT Group 1. Now you're up to what, 30? We are right around 30 that we've, you know, where we know the buckets, and, it's, yeah. and there's 30 groups. There's about five fin groups, and we have a whole bunch of unknowns. Yeah. So, so go ahead. I, I was going to get to why we did it. Yeah. Maybe that's yeah. a useful yeah, thing. Yeah, please do. The uh, bottom line is we see all these victim companies, and they keep getting spearfished, and they keep getting compromised. 
And we're, we knew it was a military unit behind it. And when a military unit keeps hacking into our private sector, there was a general frustration in the industry of, is there a non-cyber solution we can try? Let's just give it a shot. And I think we, we had a bunch of dossiers on the shelf, and we picked APT Group 1, or PLA Unit 61399. I think we had about two others we could have picked for a couple of reasons. One, they weren't as good as the other groups, so we knew if there's repercussions against Mandiant at that time, we knew we could withstand it because they had tried to compromise us. Uh, we wanted to appease the general frustration in the private sector and say, hey, government, this group's doing it. Is there anything we can do outside of cyberspace that could be a deterrent, that could help? But the, the clincher was the State of the Union address in 2013 where the president came out and said, hey, we got to do something about gun control because of what happened in Connecticut at that time frame. The second thing is we need more jobs, and that's every state of the union, we need more jobs. And then all of a sudden he came out and we have to do something about cyber espionage from China. And that's when I went, oh, we're going to release this report now. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, was the final straw. So we kind of dusted off this dossier on PLA Unit 61398 and used some Google mappage to show the building and then uh, put it out in the public. And people doubted that we were right on that as well. I, I, but I remember. I, wrote I think we were. I wrote about one of them. Our Wait, state, you, were you the one that wrote I, I, wrong? I wrote about the report, and then I wrote about somebody who had some criticism. On okay. It, that's all. Got it. Um, so are state-backed attacks on the rise? Are you seeing more of them? I don't know if they're on the rise, but from what we're responding to, it's a higher percentage. If the intrusions we're responding to now are more consistent with state-sponsored. Now, there's some we know it is, or I would strongly opine it is, and there's some where it's consistent with state-sponsored, but we don't know who's behind it. One of the challenges we have is in 2010, when we responded to breaches, almost every time we'd look at the evidence and go, oh, it's this group, and we kind of knew who they were. Right now, we're starting to get more groups that we're labeling unknown, or UNK for UNC, and we have like 400 of them. Some of these groups are changing so fast that it's very probable it's the same group, but they're changing their malware, their infrastructure they're hacking from, the directories that they, you know, pilfer everything into and, and, and use as kind of their working directory and a few other things, their passphrases. They're changing them fast enough that they keep getting a new bucket for us. So uh, that's consistent with just a, an evolution that's faster than normal criminal activity. Uh, long story made short, over 80% of what we're responding to right now, I'd say, and we're responding to about two dozen incidents, I would say, are state-sponsored right now, a little over 80%. Well, what are you seeing as sort of the, the, the near-term implications of a really prominent right. nation-state attack right. like Sony, which I know certainly scared the crap out of Hollywood, right. you know, and it probably has larger reverberations. So what are right. you seeing down on the ground level? Well, so two things happened this year that it took me a while. And by the way, I didn't read the executive orders the president did, so I'm probably giving you my perspective, and I'm totally wrong. But if I'm right, it's kind of okay. neat. The, uh, the first executive order, the president came out to Stanford, and he said, you know, we're starting this group, NCCIC, or it might be NCIIC. I get it wrong. But I kind of interpreted that first executive order as we're starting a group to get attribution right, and other things as well, but it was, let's put all our cyber intel, cyber capability in the government, kind of have one-stop shop for who did it. And then an executive order came out this month, which is, if we've been compromised, we're gonna respond outside of cyber, and we're gonna think about responding proportionately. Now, I don't know what proportionately means, you know, to say that, hey, we will respond proportionately. But North Korea with sanctions. Very right. Tiger, right. And suddenly the internet went dead, but I'm sure the government yeah. had nothing to do with that. Yeah. Um. yeah. <laughs> but I think it's a, even if there's uncertainty as to what 
proportionality is, I think it is somewhat of a deterrent. You know, the ambiguity of it in itself might work. So, so you see the first step was executive order, we're going to get attribution right in one place or do our best to get it right because you've got to get it right if you're going to do the second order, which is respond proportionately mm -hmm. and you don't have to be reserved to just cyber-based response. What can companies do? All right, so, so right. You're, a, you're, you're a motion picture studio. Right. Your job is to make movies and TV shows. You make right. up great stories. Yeah. The last thing you think is going to happen is that some foreign government is going right. to take you down. So how do companies proceed you know, now that we're months out of what the do Sony hack? Yeah. reasonably do? I, well, I think the risk profile did change after Sony when people recognized, hey, there's, you know, people are going to go out, steal your stuff and release it. I think Sony's attack combined four things that I've never seen all at once. You had a nation state threat actor, uh, hack the private sector, not for security purposes, and then release private information, some of it potentially privileged, and then just, you know, blow up the house when they go out the door kind of thing. Let's wipe everything. Put all those four things together and every CEO, every CIO, bottom line, everyone in this room recognizes the risk profile just changed. Prior to that occurring, if I was like the network, and I would have been wrong, and I'm always, you know, I have been wrong before. If I were watching a network monitor and I saw wiper malware get uploaded into a U.S. company, I would have thought to myself, it's still more likely than not it's not going to be executed. A wipe, wiper malware yeah, is something what? that will just uh, overwrite everything on the drive. Delete what's yeah. all, the, the, all the data. I, I just there. didn't, I, and I was wrong, and I guess I didn't study North Korean hacking until Sony, and then I took a strong interest in it at that point. But prior to that, I would have probably been the analyst going, nah, I don't think they're going to run that. Because not every attacker runs every single thing they bring in their tool bag. Uh, because I felt that you're taking a risk there. I think that wiping stuff in the private sector is crossing a red line. I think we know it when we see it, even if we can't write the definition. So I think, you know, it hasn't happened since then. And I bet if you had interviewed me on you know, December 5th, I would have sat there saying, oh, man, this is going to happen again, because it's too easy. There, there's too many companies that North Korea could hack into and do the same thing. Uh, but it hasn't happened. So obviously, uh, there's some control there, and there's also some deterrent. And there was, a, apparently, mm -hmm. a motivation of some kind. Mm -hmm. uh, I think yeah. we've got time for some questions from the audience. Uh, do we have any questions? Um, oh, we have a couple. Here, wait for the mic. Wait for the mic. Thanks. There was a report recently about uh, Wi-Fi vulnerability on airplanes right. and people yeah, taking yeah. over. And right. what, are you, what are your thoughts on that? So I haven't read it. I saw the headlines, and I'll respond very generically. There's what's possible, and then there's what's practical, right? Um, and I have a gut feeling that if I read that whole thing and understood the attack, that is it possible? Yeah, maybe. But is it practical? It sounded to me like you'd have to be, A, a pretty damn good hacker, B, on the plane, and C, if you do something on that plane, you're going to suffer the risks and repercussions yourself. That might be a good deterrent. That being said, uh, it's amazing. A lot of intrusions are possible. But the practicality behind them sometimes is as big a leap in buying a gun to using it to actually harm somebody. There's a big gap there. I think the same things in some of these cyber attacks. Another question over here, or do we have, we have one more? I'm still going to fly. Yeah. <laughs> so, and if you see a guy whip out his laptop and start sweating, and he's in a weird jacket on a hot flight, that's an indicator. I saw that, <laughs> I saw that guy on Virgin America a couple of flights ago. But, yeah. um, 
He's doing something wrong. So, <laughs> but I don't profile. First of all, I have to tell you, I'm Kevin Louie's partner, so this question is targeted. Um, everybody's talking about how the attackers are attacking so frequently and so fast that the scale of attack is um, scaling so enormously. It's scaling beyond the ability to defend against the attacks. Hmm. And so I'd like to hear you know, what you think about that. And so Sony got hacked, you come in, you patch, right. and you protect against what happened the last time, but right. the attackers are already off in the future somewhere figuring out another way to get in. Right. So how do you defend against that? So first, I think we can, we're going to do better and better all the time because we want to deliver outcomes. All the security vendors out there are saying the same thing, but here's what we all want to do. Deliver the outcome that if you do get compromised, we eliminate the impact. The compromise should be one machine and one machine only. And that's actually possible operationally, but there's a lot of things we got to do, you know, on detection, get detection to scale better, be better. I don't believe that the attacks are so fast that we can't block them all, by the way. It's nothing to do with speed. There's a whole bunch of white noise on the internet, and if you can be hacked, you will be hacked. But quite frankly, you can buy some simple tools from out there, and you can eliminate a lot of the white noise. The attacks that we respond to aren't fast. There's a human getting a human to hack themselves. We're never going to be able to fix that problem, I don't think. That's okay. I think as a security community, we can make it so that the human who hacks his own PC or laptop or phone due to whatever uh, problems that they, you know, they got duped to do something, uh, we can make it so that that's your target area at that point. So we'll get better at it. So I'm not, we're not at the trough. Yeah, I just got optimistic. We just barely passed the trough. We're coming up on the rise right now. Because I can envision in real operational environments at least the following, that if you know the data you need to protect, you can build a secure enclave around it and make it so damn hard to compromise it that for many industries, the attackers will go elsewhere. Example would be the retail community. If I'm in it to make money, I want credit data. And if it's hard to get credit data from you, I will look for the lower hanging fruit. So the real issue would be the nation states that are targeting you for your IP, your M&A information, or your litigious against China, so they want to figure out what your arguments are before you have them and breach your work product doctrine and read your emails. Those are tougher, but we can make it harder on them. So, and we're doing that. I didn't answer your question. I forgot what it was during all that, sorry. <laughs> yeah, we we'll talk more? offline with wine. Yeah, do we have more questions from other sections of the audience? In the, toward the back? And then up here. Kind of hard to see you. Sorry. If you raise your, raise your hand and go, go ahead, please. You are a board member at Hexadate. Um, how long do you think we can go with uh, uh, human response to these uh, incidents doesn't this whole thing need to be completely automated? Yes. First off, I said yes a little too quick. There's a few times. <laughs> yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah. But There's no need for okay. I'm, I'm going to give you my lawyer answer. It depends. But absolutely, we've got to get way faster. Like, we're talking about incident response, but it is not our goal that that's a business model. If you look at what FireEye, Mandy, and what we've done, we have a report out that says it's 205 days from the moment you're compromised to the moment you know it. That is a skewed statistic because the only people that hire us are the people that weren't 10 minutes behind the problem. By the time, if you miss the initial intrusion into your network, your ability to detect the bad guys actually goes down very quickly. If you miss the breach, the evasion you know, against automatic detection of exfiltration and all this other stuff or fraudulent credential use, 
we're, most firms aren't at that good at detecting the middle innings of the breach. So it's a skewed statistic. What we want to do is if you can detect an incident within the first few minutes of it happening, you largely have removed the human. It's pretty easy to, to remediate it because the human intelligence that spearfished a company or hacked in, they're not always just sitting at the keyboard waiting for the command prompt to come back. There's a lag there. The, the attackers that are targeting companies are sending the attack. The command shell comes back to them, but they're off doing something else or they've hacked somebody else. So you've got like a 10, 20 minute, three day window sometimes. We've seen as long as 12 days. Uh, yes, you can remove the human by detecting it fast and having tools that allow you to just right click contain. Where I don't think you can re, uh, remove the human is we want to automate as much of the process as possible. But sometimes auto healing is a little bit weird for our customers. So we've had a lot of people say, listen, we want a human brain, assess the scope of the incident, and then right click, say, okay, let's remediate or let's contain. Because they want to make a business decision between do we want to stop businesses to fix this security breach for two seconds or do we want to handle it maybe a little more delicately. But anyway, uh, we'll automate more and more of it all the time. And the goal isn't to throw people at this problem. It's to throw better tech at it. I've got one last question and then we'll, we'll wrap up. I'm curious what you recommend people do individually. Uh, individually? Yeah, what do you do to protect yourself? <laughs> First, I send the, the, my email stink. 99% of the emails I send say, Roger, Roger that. That's it. <laughs> I mean, I, there's no real dialogue in email because I do believe email, uh, I can't, it, it's probably a very terrible thing to have your email posted online and have it indexed and Google searchable. I would not want to go through that even with my crappy Roger and Roger that emails because I'm probably saying Roger that to really bad ideas. So uh, personally, what if we've recommend, I'll, I'll answer that question the same way I answered the following. We have a CEO who's very politically active. We don't want his email to be taken. He's at a Fortune 100 company. We've also been compromised by the Chinese. What do we do? We tend to do a couple things. Put the execs on their own email server, watch it a little bit more closely. Uh, have them use the iPad. Access their email with the device because the target area or target surface on the iPad is pretty darn small. And we ha we're not seeing people try to exploit that right now, at least in the cases we're responding to. So we see a lot of CEOs that don't want their email compromised doing that. Second thing, two-factor authentication to web outlook access, please. Yes. Great. That's it. Well, thank you. Thank you thank so you. much for that. Hey, thanks. Really great. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much.